and welcome to Writing About Dragons and Shit, a podcast where two authors and a writer get together and talk about the ways that they tell stories. I'm one of your hosts, Trevor Bettis, writer, idol, champions of the Forgotten Realms, and host of Too Many Podcasts, and with me each week are two amazing people who are. I'm Erin M. Evans. I write fantasy novels. I'm best known for the Books of the Usurper and um, Brimstone Angel Saga. It is I, B. Dave Walter, speaking to you from the recent past. And uh, what I am known for is things like this. Dear friend, listener, gather around. Oh. Come close. We got a review where somebody gave us four stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the, you already knew. You shouldn't have told me. <laughs> I shouldn't have told you. Gave us four stars because of our forced laughter and i say to unto you sir or madam or both or neither our laughter is in fact not forced that is the point of the fucking show that's we like hanging out together that's why it's we true. do this it's true otherwise we'd be off like rage typing in the closet so i feel bad for you that you do not like fun but <laughs> For everyone else, you can live vicariously through us. That's all. Uh, I, I I don't have the mental capacity to hear forced laughter from my friends. <laughs> True. I, my fake laugh is so obvious. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't, it's I usually don't like a I... relative that I love, but I don't actually think is funny. And it, I I don't think I can do it unless I'm talking. But it's sort of like, <laughs> like it's way higher, and it's right. very I don't know. It's, I just, always, I, I want Kevin's you to know always that it's like, what are you doing? It, by the way, like you just went silent for a second. It's like oh, it's really? like a dog whistle laugh. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> it's an eldritch sound that will destroy yes. your brain if you hear. I don't, so, thank I don't, God. I don't know that I've got a fake. I, I think that the my fake laugh is closer to getting like like wow, what you know, like like that sort of. Yeah. I don't know that I'm ever like. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> You know? could you be that was kind of funny i mean i can now you know i can now i don't think i actually laugh i think i just put a smile i'm like oh yeah no that's that's great yeah 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 yeah, yeah. what no no serious wow and this then just rotate honestly, those on a loop since we're on this topic one of the um wonderful things for me personally that has come out of streaming and particularly streaming with you guys is that I have for a very long time been embarrassed of my laugh because I Aww. sort of laugh like my dad, especially if I start laughing way too hard and I get that like kind of uh, thing. And my dad laughs so loud, so loud. Going to the movies with my father, especially because he laughs at really weird stuff. Like he's not laughing with everybody else. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was always like, yeah, I have this big annoying laugh. And doing this and having people say, like, actually, your laugh is lovely is really, I don't know, it's heartwarming. I appreciate it. Oh, I'm no. glad. Because <laughs> it's Absolutely. true. Yeah. No, I, I, it. I know how that feels. Like, I I was embarrassed of my laugh before my wife. One of our first dates, we saw a comedy movie, and I was laughing. And my laugh is so obnoxious that someone in the audience behind us felt the need to say, it's not that funny. Yeah, and so I was embarrassed you. for the rest of the movie. <sighs> and then my wife afterwards, like this was one of the moments that I knew I absolutely loved this woman was she was just like, I love your laugh. Never change how you oh. laugh. It will make me sad if I don't hear how joyful you are when you laugh. That is and, lovely. That's, yeah. you know, it, obviously I'm surrounded by teenagers. So I, I get that, <laughs> that. I hear I hear that sort of haterishness, you know, quite frequently. And I'm like, Look again, like what? What is it in you that feels the need to take someone else's joy from them? Mm -hmm. You know, and I don't mean like if somebody's like cracking up during a funeral or something. I mean yeah. like you know, we're 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 at we're at a thing that is ostensibly supposed to be laugh inducing. Yes, 
and then that person laughs and then you know you feel the need to take that from them uh that is a flaw with you not with them mm, that's fair that's fair um well hey listeners uh we're here to uh, do uh some listener questions uh because we said that we are going to be doing this for See, well a long i just time. responded to a listener comment God that is it. true okay. you did respond to a listener comment you know uh, and hey you know what regardless <laughs> of that of that one i'm hey, still thank you for reviewing because again, yeah, oh yeah no that, thank that you does, hey, hey you took uh, the time to do it i do appreciate you that's true and now that you know that they're not uh four slaps that yeah. four should become a five yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh so uh i have sent aaron some of the questions that we received i have edited uh some down for time um so uh if uh, you find that not your entire question is there dear listener uh i apologize but you know we're doing for time stuff um and we're gonna go until we feel like it so <laughs> sure. aaron let's start with that first one all right my tangent sirs and madam to begin, I would like to express that I greatly appreciate the content that you three are making. It makes the tedium move significantly quicker. It makes everything just a little more bright. Uh, before you will find be below, you will find three questions. I do not believe that you have spoken on the specific areas of the topics I'm inquiring about, but in this podcast, two and a half years, you may have, and I've just forgotten. That's okay. If you've forgotten, we yep. might have forgotten. True, that's uh, true. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like for real. <laughs> a question I've had for a while is what should a person do if they only have uh, only have ideas for standalone pieces? Near the start of the podcast, there was a phrase said that since and since repeated in a good number of episodes, uh, standalone books with serious potential. With that in mind, I evaluated my writing ideas and found that for most of them, there wasn't a spot where I could break it into multiple books and not have the first one rely on the others. Uh, they have a couple of examples in a trilogy, the, the things that were tricky. So what if you just got standalone ideas? Uh, I'm jealous of you um i wish i had that problem because i i think when we say standalone with serious potential we're really talking to the people who who don't have this problem because it's not mm -hmm. a problem in my opinion we're, we're it's the people who have the problem of like i just have too much story in my head for this that i i know i want yeah. this to be a trilogy sort of thing or i've and, got seven books i need seven books to tell this story yeah, yeah. um and so there yeah are stories like that but they're not easy to tell it's true oh obviously I, oh sorry no go ahead quick quick tangent i got a i got a a, a, a dm from a listener over the break uh -huh. um and oh, oh I'm, I'm gonna get their name because it's blanking on me right now uh but they sent me a reddit post where someone had apparently said that they uh have a four thousand page novel um and it's one of 20 books and there is oh. not a single thing they can remove and we had a good oh. laugh about that oh. <laughs> Kamiri, um, Kamiri sent that. Thank you for that. Uh, but that Vita, seems well, improbable. But I know. I mean, you know, I you're also, the you know the reincarnation of Herbert, and this is your Dune saga. And, <laughs> all right, okay. And and people, 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 people. If you're writing um, novels and short stories and things, pages are an absolutely nonsense don't measure. I don't pages. know what four thousand pages means because yeah. if your font's huge and you're putting like breaks between your paragraphs then you've got way more pages than me who is you know writing uh single spaced and an 11 point font yeah. like word count is for that comics pages yes. novels word count nobody's and gonna know what you mean not to be that snob although that is what you all tuned in for <laughs> the fact that they measured it in pages was that's really the oh my sweet summer child part of this more than anything where they were like 
I've written this sweeping saga that I cannot change at all, and yet I don't know literally the basic vocabulary. It's like, mm, okay, dude, okay. But uh, standalone books, only having standalone ideas. I mean, obviously, I would defer to Aaron for this, being you know deepest in the in the publishing milieu and zeitgeist uh, as yeah. it is. But what I would think. If you look at most of the classic books in this world, you know, the things that have really stood the test of time, you know, Frankenstein, Madame Bovary, uh, War and Peace, A Tale of Two Cities, those are all standalone. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. iconic series exists, of course, but I mean, you know, mo most of the things that really resonate and last are, you know, the one story. There's not really a Great Gatsby 2. Madame Bovary too. This time it's personal. <laughs> Madame uh, Bovary. <laughs> Madame Bovary. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that the is, rest that... of this hour coming up with sequel titles for classic. <laughs> <laughs> A tale of three More capitalism. Three fast, three furious. <laughs> Yeah, 1985. <laughs> things got better. <laughs> you sound a little curious, sir. <laughs> yeah. So I, again, I, I leave it to Aaron, but I say I don't think that's a problem. I, I don't. I don't think it's a yeah. problem at all. I would say it is not. When people talk about standalone with series potential, they are referring to making sure you're offering as much flexibility as possible to the publisher. Yeah. Um, and it is particularly the case for the situations like the one read, uh, that Trevor mentioned. This person wrote a book. They have an idea for this story to take 20 books to tell. A, that's a huge gamble for a publisher. Yeah. And everybody can point to examples of this not working out uh, when you say, yes, we will buy your eight-book saga. And then three books in, you go, I have burnt out. Mm -hmm. um, or I don't actually know how to end this. So going in and saying this is one complete story that someone could get kind of hooked on is much easier. Um, fantasy trades a lot in series. So, you know, it may be appealing to a publisher, but if the story doesn't need a series, then forcing it to have a series isn't going to help. But another thing that you might consider if you're going out uh, looking for publication with a traditional publisher is, can you tell another story in this world? Um, mm -hmm. This is getting very, I feel like getting relatively popular. Maybe it's been popular for a while. These kinds of trends wax and wane, right? But there are a lot of um, well-regarded and very good standalones in the fantasy space. Um, and, and then you will get things where there are sort of books in a series, but there will be like uh, about different characters yeah. um, or the whole story will have happened and now something else has happened and these are separate. So I think the if you have only standalone ideas, that's not a problem. Um, it's sort of good when you're if you go out on submission to have those other standalone ideas behind you too. So you could say like I could also offer you these books yeah. in the future. Um, so yeah, don't don't turn a thing into a series that's not a series. Just be prepared for a series to need to be truncated is more the thing. Yeah. All right. This is the next one. Another question I have is, when preparing to write in a more unfamiliar field, should a person avoid material similar to what they wish to create? This question was prompted by the mention of the author, I don't remember his name, who planned to write a story about zombies because that didn't consume any zombie media. B. Dave also mentioned that he avoids reading fiction when he's trying to write something because he unintentionally steals from them. To quote him, the last thing I read will be the next thing I write. I guess the question really comes down to what is the balance of, on the one hand, avoiding stealing, 
and on the other being more familiar with the area a person wishes to write in. Ooh. I mean, I can only speak for me. That's just the way my brain yeah. works. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, and I don't mean to. I just know that about me. Yeah. I mean, if that's not because I, I think. Like, I'll give you a good example. Uh, when I got into Battlestar Galactica, it's because I was I was working with a co-author and we were kind of thinking about doing a, a, we were just kicking ideas around and we we're like, we'll write a story that's about a fleet. You know, most sci-fi is just about the one ship. Star Trek is just about the one ship. Mm -hmm. Even, you know, Star Wars is usually just about the one ship. Like, we'll have a fleet. And as we were just sort of kicking it around, I was like, I think that's Battlestar Galactica. Because I hadn't <laughs> seen it, you know? And, and we just kind of keep talking. And he's like, ooh, and they can have like space marines. And I'm like, Man, I really think that's Battlestar Galactica. And so <laughs> I, I, I got it and watched it just to know. Like, yeah. I mean, am I unintentionally plagiarizing, like, you know, a beloved cult phenomenon? And then I, of course, fell in love with Battlestar Galactica. Mm -hmm. uh, so in that instance, I was like, I really think I'm biting this thing that already happened. Let me just double check. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but in general, I mean, like things like uh, like superhero media, sci-fi, fantasy. I'm already so steeped in that that to a certain extent, it's kind of unavoidable. But like, if I were doing, uh, you know, a, a, a vaguely period uh, action anime fighting spirits at this exact second, I would probably stop watching Demon Slayer in in Jujutsu Kaisen, mm -hmm. um, because even, I, I feel for me at least. I'm less concerned about doing unintentionally doing something similar because nothing is a hundred percent new. It just needs to be like yeah. executed in an interesting way in context. Like if it turns out my big bad is secretly the, the good guy's father, obviously I, I know this. I'm, I'm trying not to spoil any modern media, but like, if I don't know that I'm like, man, I just told my story, you know? Yeah. <laughs> But I know myself well enough to know that if I go and I watch The Empire Strikes Back, then the first thing that is going to keep bubbling to my head is that. And then I'm going to be like, wait, their mom is the bad guy. You know, like, so I, I don't know that there's a hard and fast rule. There was a lot of monologuing to say I don't know that there's a hard and fast rule. It just depends on how your brain works. Yeah. I think it kind of is. I mean, part of it, I, I agree. Like, you're talking about being very steeped in a space. Because one thing that you do want to do is especially if you're unfamiliar with the genre you want to write in, you should know what the landscape of that genre looks yeah. like and the expectations of that genre. Um, if you go in and say, I'm going to write a romance, but I'm going to make it so that at the end, they don't end up together. You are choosing a path that is very tricky. Um, that's not why most people read romance novels. And so having a sense of why are romance novels the way they are and what do people do is a good one. Um, another thing is something like like the Star Wars example, right? You know, oh, the bad guy's actually your dad. Something that's like that much of a of a sort of known something something that's sort of in the zeitgeist like that. Like you want to know what people do because people, if you start if you want that to be the twist, or even if you don't, but you start laying clues that look like it, um, you need to kind of have a sense of how your reader is going to process and track. Yep. Uh, there is sort of, you know, genre expectations. One thing that that is a little, uh, like a little tricky for, now never mind, that's not related to this. So, but but I think there is a sense of, you want to know the space you're writing in, um, but I can understand, I know people who will sort of like 
uh, take a break, like read, not read while they're writing their thing. And then when it's done, like then read a bunch, right? Like fill that well back up with as much as they can, right? But but while they're working, they don't do it because they'll start picking up other ideas without necessarily being conscious of the fact they're doing it. Like we do, we pick up ideas, but ideally you're kind of picking it up intentionally and kind of going, well, if I turn it like this, if I make it the mom, it fits better and it's more interesting. So I, that's a lot of me talking to say, I agree with B Dave. It depends on how your brain works. Yeah. I, I will just insert two quick things. Cause I know Trevor hadn't said his piece yet. I think it also can make you overly critical of things. Uh, in your writing sometimes when you're comparing yourself to what someone else has done. I think what we're trying to say, though, is you need to be aware of the tropes and the yes. conventions, yes. you know, but not necessarily a lot of the specifics in their execution. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, the 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 zombie person, that was uh, Robert Kirkman for uh, Walking Dead. That's why the beginning of Walking Dead and 28 Days Later uh, feel very similar is because he didn't watch 28 Days Later. And he was like, oh, what if you woke up in a hospital? That'd be wild. Uh, <laughs> so even if you that, that my example for that is even if you don't consume any of the media uh, around what you're doing, you still have the there's still a chance you're going to do it. You just don't know it now. Um and I, I know I know Kirkman got shit for that, but he's again just like I didn't watch it. Mm -hmm. um, but I, on the other hand, what I'll do is, um, if I'm working on something that is different from what I have been doing, I will go find media that is in that one, so that I know what is um what is kind of expected in that genre and in that style. And uh, also, so I can kind of keep in the back of my head what n not to do, or if anything, like there, there, when I was working on an urban fantasy, that's why I read Dresden Files is because I was like, okay, well, Dresden Files is kind of the one that comes up most often when you talk about urban fantasy. I'm going to read Dresden Files to make sure that I'm not doing anything like that. And I wasn't, but it did make me look at the way urban fantasy uh, was and make me go, hmm, I actually don't want to do this. Uh, <laughs> um, but I, I'm for, but that is how my brain works. My brain works in the way of like, I'm going to read this and kind of, clock in my head that this is in this genre this is what has happened in there and while i'm working on mine do my best not to do anything uh that would go in that direction or be like or if it is you know at least change it 20 percent, like b-day was saying um but the funny thing is i've actually been reading a book that uh <laughs> i had already been reading and i saw where it's progressing now and i went that was going to be a magic system i did it, it, it's it's turning into <laughs> this one that I was going to do. Okay, well that's that's fine. <laughs> but you know, again, I I think it 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 just depends. You know, if yeah. if you are like, oh, his magic comes from trees, my magic was gonna come from trees. Um, that's one thing. And even though I hated midichlorians, if you are like, I'm gonna call them. Bitty Boreans, <laughs> they're microscopic creatures in your blood that let you read minds and move things. I'm like, nah, you need to, you need to, <laughs> to adjust that dial a little more. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I, I want Biddy Borean somehow in the lore of tangents now. Uh, <laughs> it's like, I don't know if you guys have been watching the most recent Doctor Who stuff, but the Happen, thing they've yeah. done with, with it's this isn't a spoiler. It's just they, they, at one point, they're bouncing through time unintentionally and they run into Sir Isaac Newton and they, uh, they they meet him on the day that he's about to discover gravity and they're like oh you're about to discover gravity and they're like oh wait no spoilers and then they leave and then after that he was like what's that word <laughs> mavity in every episode of doctor who since when someone mentions gravity they say mavity but they just say it like it's, completely <laughs> completely it's different. my new favorite joke it I... is the most brilliant like act one callback they keep doing they were like the mavity's oh, unstable and then like just, just keep going with it and i'm just like brah fucking oh doctor who yeah but <laughs> i, I I will say another uh, kind of a guideline I give for myself. If a given thing has been done at least twice, then for me, it's open season. You know, that's fair. Yeah. Like, I'm like, uh, it's in the, you know, it's in the public domain now. Yeah. You know, we all, we all get ice zombies. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. There's one more. Uh, my last question relates to historical elements of other cultures. Hypothetically, if I wanted to fold in multiple pantheons from Earth and have different tales from myths represented, how much care should I take to more accurately represent those entities and events in my literature versus just using the versus just using them how I desire? Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Blessings, Felix. <laughs> uh, is that I was coughing, so I actually couldn't hear you for a second oh, there. Sorry. I was choking to death. Um, yeah. Or were they attempting to refer to real world cultures or were these fantasy cultures? Uh, they're talking about historical elements of other cultures. So I assume this is like you want to have like a Greek pantheon and a Norse pantheon and, and whatever. It sounds like like taking the real world ones and like, you know, I, I'm not saying that they're doing a battle royale, but you know, like they're putting them all in the same ring. <laughs> I spoke a lot on the last question, so I'm gonna let y'all answer first. Um, I would, I mean, one, yeah, in my, in my opinion, yes, you should take absolute care if it is a, a culture that is not yours. Um, and, and you're, you should do your best to respect those. Um, that said, uh, it doesn't seem like a lot of people out there agree because we've got weird movies like gods of Egypt, where we got a bunch of white dudes being <laughs> Egyptian gods and just, you know, beating the crap out of each other with their six packs. Um, you know, it, it, it for me, yes, you I implore you. can't you. tell people to do that, Trevor. Just I, I'm not telling them. I'm telling them <laughs> what exists. I'm saying that's, I hate that. No, this is a sabotage this. That didn't happen. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I am on the side of, yes, you should absolutely 100% take care to do that and genuinely ask yourself if you're wanting these entities to do things that is not in the that is not representative of the culture that they come from do something else do, do make up your own gods it doesn't have to doesn't have to be zeus fighting odin or you know or Ra fighting hercules you know uh you can just take those as inspirations and make your own uh i have two things Yo. about this that are in addition um one um the question i would ask is why do you want to do that um if you're telling a story that's like uh, Neil Gaiman's American Gods, um, like The Wicked and the Divine, where you are talking about a real world where the gods are real in some fashion, that's one thing. Yeah. Um, if you are doing a fantasy world and then you are kind of dropping um, real world pantheons into it, that's another. And I don't 
personally like that second one very much because I feel like as soon as you are sort of crafting a different space, the rules are changing. Those gods exist as part of a cultural fabric. And yep. and so things like, and I know that this has a thing that Forgotten Realms did, but I don't care for it personally. Um, that you you end up sort of taking them out of that fabric and sort of dropping them down and and it it flattens it out, which is my second point. Um, if you're gonna do this, you do absolutely need to do your research. Because a lot of the stuff that we are sort of introduced to casually when it comes to mythology is a uh, version that is frequently like reshaped to to sort of fit the patterns that we expect um, from a, like a, a Western American perspective, which means that a lot of things get uh, bent and changed and don't really reflect the cultures that they come from, right? Mm -hmm. um, Egypt is one I could bang on about for a while because that was the thing I studied really intently. Um, but, you know, there's things where, you know, you have have set up, like someone asked me, a friend was working on something that that worked in Egyptian mythology stuff. Um, and he asked me like, what's what's a demon that someone could summon? And I'm like, okay, but demons don't work like that. Yeah. Like that that's a word that's been applied to a particular kind of spirit and the spirit is a corrective one. So it chases down the evildoers. There's not a force that is like, I'm gonna go mess you up. Um, that is that is what you're talking about. But you know, we've taken these creatures that look kind of demonic and said, oh, it's a demon. And it's like, okay, but it's not the same kind of thing. So that's the other piece that I would say is like, yes, do your research and it's specific, you know, if you're going, if you're trying to do something that reflects real world culture, it's like you're going to have to sort of dig down and pull it apart and really look at it uh, to to do it, to at least to do it in a way that, that is not going to make me grind my teeth. Mm -hmm. um, but that's my thing. Yeah. You know, I, I would hate to say this uh, weighing in as the resident minority I get to for reasons I don't understand some cultures get treated with a lot more care than others. Like, mm. for instance, uh, again, let's call a spade a spade, except for Egyptians, ex with the glowing yeah. exception of Egyptians. Any gods of a brown country get treated, or a brown culture, get treated very carefully and, like, you know, we, we don't want to step on it. And that's good. That's good. That's how it mm -hmm. should be. I've never understood. Like, there's people alive today, now, that still worship Thor and Odin and Loki. Yeah. Like, that's their religion. Yeah. And we're like, nah, you guys are superhero, GG. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's real weird. You know? And it's just like, those people just have to take it, you know? And I'm like, well, really? Like, we're not, that's not, that didn't seem not okay to you. <laughs> like, for some reason, just Greek and Norse religion are the baseball cards. And Greek, Norse, and Egyptian are the baseball cards. Yeah. Mm -hmm where you just do whatever you want, paying no attention to the fact that this really means something to people. And like Aaron said, comes from a, like a real meaningful cultural context. Um, I, what, what I would say, you know, the, the, probably the best way to kind of have your cake and eat it too, such as it is, is, um, I would name them new and different things and i would just have it be like i've been known by many names across time yeah you know and maybe not specify that i was this god and this god and this god mm -hmm. and this god but you're just like i'm the god of light i've been known by many names anyway mm -hmm. here we are and then tell your story and then you've kind of not 
stepped on anybody. So, yeah, be careful. Less is more. Now, what I will say, though, is when when the reason why I asked for the clarification about the real world and the fantastical world is the moment that it becomes fantastical, well, then kind of all bets are off because it's mm -hmm. fantastical. You know, like if, if you're in a land where there is no Egypt, then what happened in Egypt is less important. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're still going to have a hawk-headed god named Horus, then there is no Egypt, and that's kind of on you. And I go back to saying I would name them something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, At that uh, point, yeah. yeah, figure out what it is that you are attracted to here. Do you like this this story of the battle for the kingship, right? Do you like this idea of gods that have sort of a... a they're animal heads. Uh, mm -hmm. I can't remember the word for that. Anthropomorphic, um, yeah. Anthropomorphic. It, it's not that. There's another one. Theri oh, Therioanthropic? Yeah, theory, theory, oh. yeah. Theory that anthropes. one. But like, yeah. but, but so like, is there something here that you, that you want more than you want the whole tapestry? You're allowed to sort of pluck that thread. You're allowed to pluck a couple of threads and sort of make it into something new. And that way, you know, you can sort of have the thing you want um, without sort of stomping all over the rest of it. Yeah. All yep. right, ready for the next one? Yeah, I, I will. I will uh, note before we start this person's next question. Uh, also, thank you, Felix, for writing in. Do appreciate yeah. that. Um, I, I did cut out the part of them talking about the story specifically because um, the uh, question I actually think doesn't necessarily require it, and I thought it was good to cut down for time. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right, dear Eldritch Lords of the Almighty Tangential Tides. Love it. Proceed. Big fan. Yeah. I'm having a few struggles with this work, mainly due to being so ex inexperienced with the craft and some personal stuff that I'm working on. I know the story is worth it, and I really think I have something special and a reason to say it, even if I'm the only one who ever reads it. That being said, I still struggle with confidence in the project due to the writing itself. I meander and have a hard time staying on point with scenes and the story, despite having a bullet point outline and a strong knowing of how things the thing plays out. So my first question I would ask, how do you suggest I help myself stay on track? I have stuck with B-Day's holy preachings of outlining and structure, but still find myself straying a lot. I've also adopted Aaron's write it really badly strategy for my first draft, and it's helped me get the first two chapters and prologue-ish done. But this now leads to my next question. Uh, so basically, how to... How to I think you cut some things that make this a oh, little maybe, bit confusing. Oh, so in I summary, did. here's the questions in summary. What The oh, first oh, one is, how do oh, I stretch on, my scenes and prose to be more descriptive and longer? Yeah, I think that's right. Sorry. I think you sit with it. I think that's the thing is like, like when you go back and look, there will probably be things that you're not, um, you're not noting. You know, it mm -hmm. might be the space around the character. It might be the character's internal thoughts. Um, it might be hitting those sense details of like, what do they smell and what do they hear and what mm -hmm. can they touch? Um, that's the stuff that you're going to flesh out with. And and thinking about things that tell you more about that point of view. What do they notice? What are they looking at? What are they feeling when they look at that? Those are the things to sort of flesh it out. Mm -hmm. um, the... As far as make, sorry, go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is like, yeah, as far as the like uh, stretching it out or uh, the, really the one that I I, I, fo I latched onto here was the like staying. Um, That's on... the second question. Oh. It turns Wait. out there was a first question. That must have been part in the part you cut. Well, um, let me let me so just say is, is we'll go is, back to that. I know. So apologies. We chopped this one up. But um, I would just point out. And I hate this so much. And so, you know, I'm serious that if I point it out to you here. Uh, writing is rewriting. 
you know, just get it out of your head and it will become more apparent what's not there, especially as people start to read it. And they might tell you, they were like, I didn't really get what was up with the main character. Like, I don't know why he was so mad. Like, I, I don't really <laughs> understand where they were going. I don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, that's true. I feel like these two questions kind of nest, yeah. right? Like, I'm, I feel like I'm meandering and my scenes aren't long enough. My descriptions aren't long enough. And it is the case where like, like especially if you have an outline that's telling you like where is the larger structure going do the meandering yeah. do the meandering and you'll do stuff you cut later um yep. and you'll find places where you needed to add more like bd is saying but that's how you fill out the scene how you kind of find the 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 spark and the life in the scene um yeah and, and do keep in mind over description is a thing um, I mean, that was one of the notes that Aaron gave me for the book that she read of mine is that sometimes I just went in too far on description. Um, I do think that is uh, me just being so mad at Orson Scott card uh, <laughs> from high school. Um, but <laughs> there, I mean, there's other reasons to be, but that was one of them stuck out there. Uh, don't feel if you if you feel like you've described a thing, leave it at that um you, you don't feel don't continue to question like oh did i was i clear about this or or something like that if you're worried about clarity i mean also look at you know using more concise words and whatnot but that is again shortening down the the number of words you're using to describe something um but yeah definitely don't if, if you're looking for places to add description isn't always the best place to do it yeah, I would as you're as you're going along trying to pad and expand is not the move. That that gets you fluff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, like I tell your story. Okay. Uh, my final question is more for opinion. So as background for context, in my story, the main character is magically split into two people, with the duplicate being a manifestation of her negativity and inner neglected child. I am at a crossroads with this at the moment. I was wondering, as readers, do you think a reveal closer to the climax of the book, where the doppelganger reveals that much about that much about herself to the MC is more interesting or satisfying, or do you feel that having the main character know the whole time is? I lean toward the second option given the story's themes, but I was wondering your opinions on the matter. I now understand how this person formatted this uh, this email. I did not understand previously. <laughs> I mean, you you can have both. You can have the main character can know, but it's not revealed to the audience. Mm -hmm. True. You know, you have in, in the way that they're interacting with each other and the way that they're talking. It's one of those things where if you do it crap masterfully, uh, or it leaves with some craftsmanship that you get your usual suspects moment of when mm. it all comes out at the end, you think back to everything they were saying, like the sixth sense, yep. mm -hmm. the sixth sense, you know, so you could do both. If you don't want to do both, I think then, or you try to do both, then I think the reveal at the end is more powerful because that's your done, done, done yep. moment. As yeah. long as, you know, there's a payoff from yep. it. Uh, I would say there are two factors to my opinion on this. Uh, one is the thing that you kind of point at, which is what is the theme of the story? Uh, if the theme of the story is the character realizing that she needs to face her negativity and her inner neglected child, um, if she spends the whole time doing it and then finds out the duplicate is that, it feels a little, I don't know, you could probably make it work, but I feel like if she realizes that's what she has to do to, to reintegrate the duplicate, then that seems more correct. If she's sort of assuming it's something else and after this climax, makes the pivot to knowing she needs to address this that's better um 
I think that's kind of the, the thing. The other thing I is is more um, easy to determine and process. Uh, as someone who really loves a twist, loves a big reveal, mm-hmm. um, there are some reveals you cannot get away with because there is not enough meat in the story to keep people from noticing them. Mm. Uh, there is nothing I get more annoyed with than a book that sets up its mystery. There is one clear answer to this mystery and the characters proceed to not look at the answer for 80% of the book. Yeah. So if it is, if it is something that you are struggling to obfuscate, this is not a good twist. This is not a good reveal. Um, if this is something that is, is easy to set up without pointing too hard at it and to give the reader enough to look at that isn't solving that mystery right this second, um, then I think you can get away with pushing it to the end. But if this is like, what is the duplicate? Is the core mystery? Um, you're, you might find it's a little bit tr- difficult to pull off. But you are the only person who's going to know that. And you're the and the only way you're going to know that is by kind of writing it. So mm-hmm. you might decide to go in uh, one way and then realize, actually, this is really easy to obfuscate or go in and realize, oh, no, I actually can't hide this for that long. But that, those are the two things. Themes and how easy is it to keep it from the reader? I was laughing there because I'm literally reading a book right now where I'm screaming at the page going, I, I, I don't know how you're, I don't know how you think no one's seeing this. <laughs> like as a, as a counterpoint, um, I am listening to Rivers of London by um, Aronovich. Ben Aronovich? Man, I'm so bad at remembering people's names. I'm so sorry. Mm. I really like it. It's like a police procedural in London, but there's um like magic and, and uh, spirits of the place and stuff. And there are these weird murders going on. And very early on, I was like, ah, the weird murder is clearly connected to this thing. This is the thing they're going to find out. However, there is enough going on with like the politics of river spirits and this guy like deciding like, you know, how he's going to move into this sort of wizard apprenticeship out of being a cop and all these other things and the writing style, like I'm really enjoying it. And now Mm -hmm. they've finally gone, wait, I've made the connection. Um, I'm like, cool, we're getting on with it. But because there's enough going on, the fact that I figured out the, like, what is the, like, what is the pattern here? Very fairly early. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter to me. Like this didn't bother me, but that's the thing. It's like, you got to have other stuff to look at. Yeah. There's also a world where um, you could do something where the shadow knows and the audience knows the shadow knows and the main character doesn't know. Yeah. Uh, but again, it can it can get trippy. The shadow knows. The shadow <laughs> knows. Um. Yeah, I don't. I don't have much on the, on the, the this reveal one, uh, mainly because like um, I. I mean, I will. I'll put in my opinion. This. Yes, I like reveals uh, towards like the climax of the story and everything like that. That that's what it's just like. Yeah, this is it. This is what we've been building towards. I love this. Um, uh, I I as far as like, I like to think I'm good at twists, but I don't. I'm not confident enough in them to give advice on it. I'll put it that way. <laughs> Can I also just give a really quick plug for a TV show? <laughs> oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't watch a whole lot of stuff, so I feel like this is good. The After Party is a show mm-hmm. is like on Apple uh, TV, but it's a it's a it's like a murder mystery. There's this this uh, this guy dies, and 
every episode is a different person explaining to the police <gasps> officer I what love that. happened and they're themed differently so like one's like a musical and one's like a thriller and it's delightful and even better like it it is a pretty well set up mystery like i did not know the answer at all and when it happened i gasped and it didn't feel like a cheat it didn't play dirty like Good. it pointed out here's where all, here's all the things you should have noticed at the end and it was like oh and those were like those were legitimately there, but I did not pick them up as clues. And it mm -hmm. was delightful. I really liked it. There's another Sam season Richardson's I haven't watched it. yet. I'm, so. I'm going to watch it. <laughs> Who are you watching for? Uh, uh, Sam Richardson. I, oh, I, yeah. I he's love, amazing. I love anything he's in. <laughs> <laughs> There, there was a there was a terrible Chris Pratt sci-fi movie, but Sam Richardson was in. I'm like, he's getting me through this film. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, that's um, again, it has to be simultaneously um, surprising yet inevitable. Yes, you know? it was yeah. surprising. I felt surprised and not tricked, and that was yeah. nice. It's like Rashomon. Mm -hmm. Um. I did. I did want to, because uh, again, I apparently misunderstood how this email was formatted. I apologize, listener. Uh, the 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 second question there, though, the uh, what ways can I potentially help myself focus and stay on track with telling the story? Um, thing I wanted to uh, note there was, um, as you are right, like you've got this outline uh, that you you bullet pointed out. Uh, thanks to me, Dave. Um, and when I'm working on, when I'm writing and I have the outline there, I have it in my head and I'm every line going, how is this progressing to the point that I need in this outline? And that is how I stay on track to that is that that is everything that's getting filtered through is going through the filter of, I know where this uh, this part of the outline is going towards and what needs to be done. How is this getting it there? I mean, remember, every sentence has to advance the plot, reveal character, or reveal theme. Hundred percent. If you're, uh, if if you find yourself uh, wheel spinning, ask yourself that. Yeah, yeah. That that is that is my big piece of advice there because I do know that you can, you know, just kind of uh, get going on a conversation between two characters and whatnot. But if you got to ask yourself, is this conversation progressing the plot that I need it to? But, you know, again, I realize it seems like we're crossing over, but I would say you, you got to get that raw material out and then shape it afterwards. So if it feels right in the moment to let them talk for 20 pages, write that. Yeah, because again, but like understand said, when you get to the for. end, you're not going to, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, you'll, yeah. you'll know what actually matters out of it, and then you'll be able to, uh, do, you, here's the thing, you can't write and edit at the same time, and it sounds like that's what you're trying to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It sounds like oh, you're, yeah. you're, you're trying, yeah, no. You 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 wearing one hat or the other hat? Yep. Okay. Uh, should we? Is that? Oh, I'm sorry. There's the end here. Thank you guys very much, all three of you, for the wonderful and amazing things you talk about and do. I appreciate your time and energy reading this brick fucking wall of text, and <laughs> hope to be listening many more episodes for the foreseeable future. Best, uh, Christopher Royal Friendly Neighborhood Tangerino. Oh, I love that. Thank you, Christopher. I will say this next one. Uh, I didn't have a chance to edit down because we started recording. Uh, so uh, <laughs> who knows how long this is we, gonna go? Uh, do we do we want to do one more? Uh, I mean, I don't know how yeah. we are in time. Uh, yeah, we're we're only forty three minutes. Yeah, we'll do one more. We'll okay. do one. Okay. Salutations and good morrow to you who are distracted more easily than my cat. <laughs> Yeah, how I've, dare you? <laughs> I've been a listener for a couple of years now. You guys have been a great resource as I've been writing my four book 1930s inspired fantasy series. 
I've just finished the rough draft of book three and have started its first pass of editing. Your advice on theme especially has been very helpful in staking down what my stories are about. So far, the books are about whether or not there's always a choice to do the right thing, what typically moral people do when the right thing goes against their code of ethics, and if doing right is worth negative repercussions. Book four is looking to be about the self-destructive nature of selfishness or something, as I outlined it. Tangent, why isn't the three-act structure more frequently broken up into a four-act structure? The middle act is twice the length of the first and the final. And the midpoint is a good job as an act climax. It makes the middle of the book make more sense to me. And the overall, it makes the overall structure of a series map more uniformly to consistent book length. Shout out to you for putting a tangent in your email. I do appreciate I know, right? that. <laughs> uh, for the record, the four-act structure is completely valid if that's how mm. you like to write. I like five. So, you know. Mm. GG. Mm. When I finish my books, I want to publish them either traditionally or independently, but unfortunately, I despise social media. <laughs> All the advice I hear is to have a robust social media presence to promote your books, but my inconvenient scatterbrained and general discomfort around social media means I don't expect it to work for me in any meaningful capacity. What would you recommend for self-promotion outside of the dystopian hellscape that is social media? Is it even <laughs> possible to sell books these days without a social media presence? God, you don't even know the third rail you're touching here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I don't need or expect to have a bestseller in my hands, but I'd like for people who'd enjoy my books to find them, and I'd like to get some profit out of it, but if possible. My books do have some more niche interests of mine, like mountain... No, 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 Sorry, there's a lot. My mountaineering, fine tea and cocktails, historical weapons, late 1930s technology and archaeology. So maybe there's some way I can target people who would like what I'm writing about. I'm open to both traditional and self-publishing, and I'm curious which will be easier for me to sell without social media. I'll be paying my respects at George R.R. Martin's service later this year. I presume he'll be in attendance as well. So see you then. (laughs) Plus one to everything Aaron of the Thousand Evans says, Leopold von Lichtenstein. P.S. Yes, I have created a list of cocktail recipes based on my series characters and setting for when my books inevitably get so famous that audiences are clamoring for their characters' favorite drinks. P.P.S. Feel free to cut things in square brackets if necessary for runtime. No, that would require me to read the whole email before I started. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Yeah, you can make it without social media. It's just going to be expensive. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, it's just going to cost you a lot. Like, everything you can do with social media can be done with paid media, but uh, the operative word being paid. um, I feel like there's two sets here, too. Like, are you going to traditionally publish or are you going to self-publish? If you traditionally publish, the things your publisher is going to do are going to be way more impactful than anything you do. Yeah. Um, social media, if you are sort of like in the the very upper crust of having all the followers, can move the needle a little bit. But most authors I know do not have much in the way of a social media following. Um, that's that's the social media uh, things that that move the needle on social media are usually other people talking about your books yeah um and you talking about your book is noise it's it's like listening to a commercial largely um you being charming on social media uh frequently goes to i like following this person on social media and did not convert to i will also purchase their books Uh, i have known authors who are very um popular on social media and frustrated by the fact that while they had you know, tens of thousands of Twitter followers or more that was not turning into tens of thousands of book purchases. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they would find, they'd say something funny and then mention they had a book and they'd have people go, I didn't know you wrote books. I just thought I can... you did shit posting on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you why. Because it's not just enough that they know you. It's why they know you. Yeah. Uh, again, if they know you as, as, you know, a shit poster, then fantasy offered author does not translate directly but this is why people like trevor noah who's known as a comedian can write a book which is funny 
Mm-hmm. And it does translate one-to-one. So they need, it's not just who knows you, it's also what they know you for. Like yep. if you're a video game streamer, but then you write a horror novel, um, it's not going to move one-to-one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, I I think the first thing is write a good book. Um, that's, that's, that's going to always do the most, um, doing social media is, I mean, as much as I'm like, it doesn't move the needle that much. It still does something and it's something you can do. Right. So if you're not going to do it, other things, um, doing, um, like conventions, uh, bookstore events, uh, that sort of thing. Um, this is obviously still in the space of being a social person in public. So if that's not your jam, that's okay too. Uh, that, you know, you, you basically like the, so, so writing a book is going to move the, writing a good book is going to move the needle the most. Um, having a publisher who's going to, uh, help you out is going to move the needle. Um, I'll set up publishing over here for a second. Um, Anything you do to get people to notice you on social media will move it a little bit. Anything you do in person is going to move it a little bit. But if you do those things and you do them really badly, like if you know that you're going to not be able to talk in public and if anyone talks to you, you're going to snap at them and you're going to hide in your hotel room the whole time, this is not a good use of your of your yeah. energies. Um, doing it badly is worse than not doing it. Um, yeah. The things like, however, hosting cocktail recipes uh, yeah. is exactly the kind of thing that you will be rec- it'll be recommended for you to do. Finding those sort of quirky overlaps um, is is a good way to sort of bring people into the specific space of your book. Uh, we are also in what I have seen delightfully referred to as the warring states period of social media. <laughs> <laughs> where uh, it's anybody's guess, where is a good place to sort of do this stuff? Uh, um, the only thing I've seen people say is definite is it would be really good to have a newsletter. And I say that and I don't have a newsletter. Uh, so man, the mileage may vary. That is what I do. And I'm like, hey. Doing a newsletter? Yeah. I mean, I, it won't hurt. I mean, again, it's here. here's the reality anything so remember what i said about what they know you for so the value of a newsletter is if you are reminding people that you exist Mm -hmm. and you are providing value it's not to just sell things because you need to give at least a minimum give a minimum of three pieces of value for every time you ask for something in return Mm -hmm. so you got to be pumping out a lot of stuff like if you put like a cocktail recipe of the week or something newsletter that might be dope and then in every once in a while being like hey if you want to know where these are from check out my book blah 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 um but you know the idea that it's like i'm gonna put this out to sell directly that's not really the move the value of a newsletter relative to social media because the psychology are very similar the difference is theoretically you have a more contained audience of your newsletter because they opted in, they gave you your email address, they clicked open on the email and then they read it. Yeah. So theoretically, you're going more directly to them versus being throttled by the algorithm or being shadow banned. But, you know, eh, it is eh. definitely more a thing for like, you're a writer, you have books, you need to remind people those books are available and yep. purchasable. But it's basically at that point, like direct blogging. In, yep. I hate blogging so much. Yep. And again, 
you got to be adding value. You yeah. don't even ask yourself about selling books. Although Aaron is right at the end of the day, it all leads back to somebody opening their wallet, but it's, you're catching flies with honey though. You're, you're pumping out things that are objectively of value and then converting on that afterwards. Yeah. I don't know what to add to this right now because yeah, it's a dystopian hellscape and this, the, all the social media stuff is just it, it, like you were saying, Aaron, like, we, we people don't know where they're landing uh right now and they don't even know where audiences are um yeah. I, but uh, the the thing i feel like i've noticed is that a lot of the authors i know are active on blue sky but it feels more like an author cocktail party yes than it does talking to an audience which i don't mind because this is what stresses me the hell out about mm -hmm. twitter um but separately, talking about self-publishing, um, obviously, if you are self-publishing, you do not have the marketing machine of a traditional publisher pushing your book into bookstores yes. um, and at reviewers. So that's another thing, getting your book to people who will review it. And there are a lot of reviewers that specialize in indie publishing. Um, so that's one thing. In that case, you know, you're, you again, write a really good book. Um, make sure you have a, a really sharp looking cover and, and it is edited and it is laid out properly, um, show that you put a lot of care into this and, and it's easier to sort of make those jumps to sort of reviewers and, and, um, booktubers and yeah. stuff. Um, talk, Insta talk or all that. I don't, I don't know how these that's things That's all are. social Books media though. Instagram. Yeah. Books but again, Graham, it's not it what you do. It's what yeah, other people yeah. say about your book. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's another thing is that getting those things to to reviewers is helpful. Um, and then another thing that I've been told with self, with self publishing that a lot of it is about paying attention to categories and hitting those categories, um, those kind of narrow categories, very specifically, like targeting it, so that you get a book that gets pushed into people's. Um, um, sort of recommendations and reading space because that is the sort of the the suggestion metric versus sending it to a bookstore and convincing you know bookstore uh, workers to sort of face it out and stuff like that um it is the the amazon sort of like lifting it out of the algorithm um, that is something i don't know how to do but uh i'm very interested and fascinated by the people who are skilled at it um and they're i'm sure out there giving tips on on the internet um, I will give one quick tip on this just because I used to be the person that did this. Um, if you are doing self-publishing and whatnot, um, you can uh, try to talk to a local Barnes and Noble about doing um, like uh, selling there. And I'm not saying like they'll buy, they'll buy your book. I mean, they give you a, a time that you can come in on a weekend and uh oh, yeah. you know set up a uh, set up a table, uh, stack up a few books, talk to people as they come by, you know, if uh, any, uh, anyone that buys it there, you get the, the money from. Uh, I set this up for uh, several authors locally here when I worked uh, in that position at Barnes & Noble. It doesn't hurt to ask. Not all of them are going to do that. It is genuinely up to the person that is in that role and if that role even exists at your local Barnes & Noble. Um, so I do suggest uh, giving that a shot, at least talking to someone there about the possibility of it. Okay. Yeah. That was the last one. Well. I hope that helped. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. That, so there we go. Uh, listener question episode. We're going to keep doing these uh, for a bit as uh, we kind of get a, a backlog of episodes together so that hopefully, you know, we don't miss as many this year. Because, oh, yeah, this is going out in 2024. Hey, it's 2024. Hey, oh, it's weird. Year. We survived. My gosh. 
I'm gonna knock on wood because yeah. we still have. It's only it's new. It's, it's the no, day no, but he, but hear me out though. Hear me yep. out. If they're hearing this, we made it. Yep, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> if you yeah. didn't, you're you know who knows. <laughs> like it yeah. this clear like 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 anxious pessimistic mindset versus positive this... um optimistic mindset i'm like by saying we've made it we've jinxed ourselves you know what it? i just need you to know if by the time you're listening to this dear listener i in fact did not make it i regret nothing <laughs> <laughs> called it that's it there you go Again, called it the positive Boom. optimistic state uh all right well uh i think that is a good place to wrap things up friends where can people find you with awesome things you're working on oh you can find me at the moment on twitter and blue sky at Aaron M. <laughs> evans um you can join me on mondays on twitch.tv slash dungeon scrawlers at 1 p.m one yeah, one thirty p.m. Pacific for concentration check, a co-writing space. Come get some work done with me. Um, and for, I guess, the rest of January, at least uh, on Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Pacific for Fearful Symmetry, a D&D game I run with a bunch of writers, including Trevor. Yeah. Uh, B.D. Walters, I say words about things. Uh, you can find me all over the interwebs. Over fine streaming content can be located. I'm chopping away at a bunch of TTRPG deadlines here. I was about to say by the end of the year, but the year ends tomorrow for <laughs> us. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's me. And um, uh, to quote Run DMC, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. <laughs> uh, I'm going to throw in a tangent here at the end of the episode. This is, again, for those people. For the people that just, like, they hear me start doing that wrap-up and they turn off the episode, they're missing out. I had a I had a stress dream over the break where I somehow double-booked myself for Fearful Symmetry and another uh, D&D stream. And so I was trying to do both of them at the same time with two cameras. And then for whatever reason, my dream was like, but also you're just going to get up and walk away and Aaron's going to message you on your Apple Watch, where are you? And you have to figure out where your desk is <laughs> it was i woke up and just okay. went i need like a pot of black coffee <laughs> i'm also not gonna lie i sort of enjoy the notion of of some sort of charity game wherein someone has to play in two dnd games at the same time dude i kept saying and i would do a charity game where i ran dnd and vampire at the same time for two different tables oh i mean I'll, I'll, I'll still do it I'll still do it. I don't care. I'm going to keep this yeah. in mind. <laughs> yeah. I love it so, and honestly, you were the first person I thought of as being capable of doing it. You know I'd do it. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Uh, you can find me on the warring states of social media uh, <laughs> at the Trevor. There's an A hiding in there. Uh, and uh, you can find me on uh, one, one of the podcasts I got going on right now that's uh, going again is i'm gonna podcast so you can uh check that out and hear my friends and i just talk about whatever the hell we want to talk about and have some laughs doing it uh but yeah that is gonna do it for this week's episode of uh writing about dragons shit uh thank you all so much for listening uh if you uh enjoyed this show the best way to support is by leaving a review in your podcast service of choice and telling your friends about the show uh and uh if you want to write in with your own questions like the lovely listeners who did today uh you can send those into writing about dragons shit at gmail.com and we will get to them eventually uh but uh yeah that is gonna do it for this week's episode uh so until next week what did i say here go write about some dragons Dra go write about some dragons and shit and hey, we've had a break <laughs> 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 <laughs>